Hello, and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, our weekly arts and culture podcast, all about the people behind the award-winning content at the University Daily Kansan. I am your host, Nicole Dolan, and as always, my wonderful co-host, Wyatt Hall, will be joining me today. Hey, everybody. And we will be chatting about all things K-pop with some of our favorite arts contributors, Alicia and Aruj. Hello, you two. Hello. Hi. So, please... Tell us about who you are and what you do. Aruj, you can start us off. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Aruj. You guys might recognize me from the UDK column in the opinion section. Ask Aruj. Put some couple of hot takes out there for a while in opinion, but recently shifted to arts thanks to Nicole's recruiting. And I'm having a lot of fun. So I do a lot of what to read this week's and um, just excited to share some hot takes on this, too. Very wonderful. Alicia, who are you? Hi, my name is Alicia. Um, you may recognize my name from Campus Couture, the fashion column that I do every week. I am a journalism major and an East Asian languages and culture major with a focus in Korean. So um, I'm excited to talk about K-pop because I know a little bit about the topic. Just a little? <laughs> just a little. Just a little bit. Well, um, Wyatt, I will leave you to taking care of the segments for us. Yeah. So once a week, we have our three weekly segments. Uh, we have what are we listening to? What are we watching? And hot takes just to learn a little more about what's going on in our guests' lives. We will start out with what are we listening to this week? That can be music, podcasts, or anything in between. Rouge, why don't you start us out? I got a recommendation for both. So as for music, I'm really loving the new Chloe X. Halley album. Hey, hey, what you get on my pay? What you done on my way? What you get on my way? But you don't You're holding on your wings Look to the sky Why don't you Live for the final Not a single skip on that album I love it to death And for podcasts, I think Tiny Meat Gang is always a solid bet. It's pretty basic, but Cody Ko and Noel Miller have kept me company on so many drives to and back from Lawrence So gotta shout them out chef's kiss i saw them live when they came to lawrence and i did the meet and greet because i've been a fan of cody since like 2013 so i'm jealous low-key i feel you i feel you (laughs) all right alicia what are you listening to this week um i'm gonna be honest i actually don't listen to that much music but when i do i listen to 2000s pop punk oh been listening to a lot of Green Day, Good Charlotte, MCR, um, just going down memory lane recently. So what, why is it that you don't listen to much music? That's a good question. I wouldn't say I don't listen to music. It's just that I'm not as into it as some people. I'm not constantly listening to music in the background. I usually listen to music when I'm cooking or when I'm driving. But other than that, I don't like constantly have music on, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the same way. Yeah. Nicole, what are you listening to this week? 
So it's a combination between Anderson Pack's uh, new song Lockdown. Won't you tell me about the looting? What's that really all about? Cause they throw away black lives like paper towels plus unemployment rate. What 40 million now killed a man in broad day. Might never see a trial. We just want to break chains like slaves in the south. Started in the north end, but we in the downtown. Riot cops try to block. Now we got a showdown. Down. You stole um, mine. I'm sorry, <laughs> Wyatt. We've been on the same wavelength all day today. We have, we have. Keep going. Um, yeah, and so can't get enough of that. Um, that came out on Juneteenth, right, Wyatt? It something? did, it did. Yeah, and so that's just been on repeat lately. But I also made two new indie girl playlists. So I don't know what's happening to me. I think it's a combination of like R and B, but like also sad indie girl vibes that are happening the duality of nicole dolan is really just <laughs> banging heads right now and so um on that album i have kai dreams and lunar vacation which are like two of my like new indie artists that i've been playing with lately but what you can talk about anderson pack too if that's what you're listening to <laughs> yeah i mean i've been listening to a lot of the uh new kind of protest anthem songs that came out on juneteenth so uh anderson pack's definitely my most listened to just because i adore everything about that man and everything he puts out but i've been listening to a lot of hers new song that we mentioned in new music monday this week I listened to No Name Song 33, I uh, think. Yes. And, and, you know, Beyonce, I think, released a song. Just, just a bunch of new music from people this week. I remember people thinking that was an MCR cover for a hot minute on Twitter. I that <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just all the all these artists of color have been putting out these great um, new songs about Black Lives Matter, and they all just are great. And they're great they, listens. They are. All right, and next we'll move on to what are we watching this week? We'll once again start out with Rouge. What movies, TV shows, videos, what are you watching this week? So kind of all over the place. I'm usually on like an old Bollywood kick for the most part, but kind of fell off of that just because I'm in the middle of a lot of applications and I don't have four hours sitting around. But beyond that, I'm really into this K-drama that's on Netflix. It's called King, the Eternal Monarch. Um, amazing, amazing. It gives me really strong 112263 vibes, which is a Stephen King novel. Um, so it has like multiple um, parallel universes and kind of like the issues that come about with that, um, with like people having doubles in one universe versus the other. Uh, so I'd strongly recommend. It has that K-drama mix of like serious, funny romance. Like I think anybody could enjoy it really. Mm, love that. Love that. Alicia, what about you? So I've been re-watching Avatar The Last Airbender for the second time because I have a friend who's never seen it. So we've been Netflix partying um, and it's really fun to see her reactions since she's never seen it. It has remained in the top 10 Netflix shows since it came onto the platform. And it's been how long now? It's been months and it deserves it. Yeah, it literally has not left the top 10 since it premiered. That's crazy. <laughs> That's Tiger that King level. That is crazy. <laughs> True. Okay, Nicole, what are you watching this week? 
Okay, so this week I binge Never Have I Ever in one day. So one day, in one day, um, it took me a very short amount of time, just because. Okay, this is kind of like a hot take with in and of itself, but um, with some of the characters that I would get really impatient with, I'm sorry, um, Fabiola. And um, Eleanor would occasionally make me upset um, just because of, like, their mannerisms in the show. Fabiola and Eleanor are um, Debbie's, like, two best friends in the show. And Debbie's the main character. Um, And the girls would make me really upset sometimes. So I would honestly, like, do the 15-second skip. And um, I think that's why I binged it all in one day because I would just skip through the parts that I uh, was really impatient with and I just wanted to get to the tea, you know, wanted to see, uh, is Ben Gross going to be in here again? Um, You know, or are we going to still be obsessed with Paxton? I don't know. Um, So yeah, I love the show. I love Ben Gross so much. I think he is my absolute favorite character on the show. Um, I love that Mindy Kaling uh, brought us into the home of this wonderful cast of like strong women of color um and I don't know it just like completely took a coming of age tv drama comedy to like a totally another level just by literally just by featuring women of color as like strong leads um and just different aspects of it but Rouge you're telling me that you have some hot takes on this so let's talk about that yeah I think as a South Asian person like my perception of it it's going to be a little bit different so I love Mindy Kaling and I'll like watch anything that she puts out but I'm also very critical of it just because I'm like okay how could this have been improved how could this have been different um and I think a lot of it comes down to like these implicit representations of culture that she she does of like the relationship Debbie has with her parents or the relationship she has with being South Asian um that felt a little bit dated to me like you know um there's a scene where she comes across a friend of hers I think that goes to college and is now super in touch with being Indian yeah um and has less of that dissonance that she does um so kind of her like self-hatingness towards her South Asian like roots that I feel like is more a like remnant of Kaling's time rather than South Asian kids today so a lot of it, I was like, wow, this entire struggle, like I'm not super into. Whereas I felt like Kamala, which was Debbie's cousin, mm-hmm. um, her her little journey felt a lot more timely um, and a lot more universal than maybe Debbie's did. Yeah. I, I think it was hilarious though. Like I don't think there was a single episode where I wasn't like genuinely laughing out loud. And it was nice to see Debbie make mistakes and like be a teenager because that's not something you get to see a lot of with Asian characters. Yeah. I feel like they're so stereotyped. And even with her friends, like they're not who you would expect them to be. No. So definitely the women of color in those roles were super, super refreshing. And I think Ben Gross being like the token white guy, yes. even, he, even he was refreshing in the way that they portrayed him. So it was, it was a really fun experience. Like, I definitely will be tuning in for season two. Oh, me too. I think the the thought on it being dated is a pretty accurate way to look at it, purely just because this is a show about modern teenagers, and people don't realize it, but Mindy Kaling is in her 40s. So, 
I mean, she's writing about a completely different generation. And so I, I just think that is something to keep in mind when you go into the show. Right. Um, I, I do agree because like when she was talking to that guy um, when he was like back from college and she was like sort of making, you know, owning um, your culture, like kind of like a joke or whatever, or I don't know. She was just like not really serious about it. That definitely was not the conversations that I was having, you know, with like alum coming back, talking about um, being involved in like Asian communities at KU or anything like that. When I would talk to like upperclassmen when they would come home, I'd be like, um, that's amazing. I can't wait to sign up for that, you know? Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what she does. I also like the different portrayals of the moms and their roles and how they affect each of the girls. Um, and how like Debbie's mom is like, you know, similar to Fab's mom and the way that they're like hands-on with their kids and stuff like that. Um, but how Eleanor's mom is just, you know, away and um, Eleanor being like a East Asian person. Um, it's like the stereotype is that all of us have like tiger moms when her mom is pursuing <laughs> a career in theater. Um, so I don't know. And she's cool. kind of a deadbeat. Like, you know, I thought that that's why I was like, there's so many cultural resets happening here. Um, and it's it's nice to not see the experience be a monolith. Like maybe that's a criticism that I can make of my own criticism, like getting a little meta here. <laughs> but, you know, maybe what I want to see is like my own idea of a monolith. But great show. Great I, show. I, I think the show is great. I, I do agree with Nicole, though. I think the one big flaw for me on the show is there is a bit of an issue with character likability with some of the mm -hmm. characters, like the best friends, like you mentioned. Sometimes the characters can get just kind of annoying. And... They got so annoying. <laughs> Honestly, in the last two episodes, I was like, Davey, I'm kind of sick of you. Like, I'm not even <laughs> yeah. watching the show for yeah. her. Oh my goodness. When she... Uh, like refused to go home and just like throwing a fit to her mom i'm like dude come on you know like all right yeah come on yeah so if you can get past the characters being a little annoying i think the show itself is great though oh perfect definitely worth the binge but wyatt what are you watching uh so i've actually been going back to some old like cartoons from my childhood uh this week i have been starting adventure time back over i watched it all the time when i was younger but it was one of those situations where i just kind of watched it whenever it was coming on and in the past few years uh past when i stopped watching apparently the last seasons have this whole overarching narrative going on that gets really extensive and has a great conclusion and i'm like you know what? Let's just jump back into it and watch it. It's a big Dang. task. There's like 10 seasons of Adventure Time. <laughs> so. um, but I'm looking forward to get, getting back into that and then also watching uh, Avatar for the first time. That'll be coming soon. So I've also never seen it. So Oh, really? So now yeah. you got two. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, Nicole. Yeah. You have to. I know. Here's the thing. Um, I know that I love Appa because he's so cute. And... Um, that's all that I know, but that's very on brand for me. <laughs> so <laughs> we can figure something out for that. But with that, we will now move over to our hot take section. Uh, this is everybody's favorite section where we talk about our controversial opinions. Aruge, start us out with your hottest of takes. I think this will be our first mention of our topic, K pop, but um, 
I think people are really hard on K-pop stands for the wrong reason. And that that is my hot take. And we'll definitely get into it more as we get through the pod. But I feel like they get the heat for wrong things, like people making fun of kids for like enjoying boy band culture and enjoying, um, you know, these things that are seen as like teenage girl interests, even though that's not really what they represent to a lot of people. Um, but at the at the same time, like any big fan community can get super toxic. And I think K-pop stands are definitely not exempt from that behavior, um, especially with excusing the long history of anti-Blackness and also like co-opting Black culture, which, I mean, that was something that I feel like the Vice documentary did touch on a little bit, um, which was kind of like our reference point for this podcast episode. But I feel like they should be getting heat for things like that and not things like, you know, enjoying pop music. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So for someone who doesn't know much about like K-pop stand culture, is this something that is uniquely American or non-Korean or is this something that happens in Korea too? Um, I think K fans, which is kind of like, so the the fans of K-pop that are here, tend to be called like I fans or international fans Mm. and then Korean fans that are like in Korea, they kind of have different approaches to it. I feel like American fans specifically tend to have less of that commodification and investment in like idol culture. Like the idea that this K-pop, you know, singer has to be perfect, like never curse, never do drugs, never have relationships. That's not something that we're super invested in, but in Korean culture, there is like that element of, like the idol is perfect. And so you want them to be like your stand-in boyfriend or something. So they can't be with anybody else. And that tends to like end people's careers over there, which gets Western fans upset. Cause if we tried to hold any of our artists here to that standard, um, we'd have no one left. Mm, that is an interesting take. And we will dive more into that later. Like you said, Alicia, what is your hot take for us this week? Mine also pertains to K-pop. Um, I think that Americans and English speakers in general need to be more open to music in other languages um, and more just art in general in other languages, movies and books uh, from foreign authors as well, because the majority of the world listens to music in English even when they don't speak it. And if the majority of the world has no problem with it, then English speakers shouldn't either. It's not about necessarily understanding the lyrics when you're listening to them you can look them up if you really want to know but it's also you can enjoy it just listening to the music just like you can enjoy classical music or mumble rap when you can't understand what they're saying either i mean let's not forget numa numa like does anybody (laughs) know what that song was even about and it popped off super hard so exactly yeah and something that will come up later gangnam style was the first youtube video to hit what a billion views Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Nobody was talking about, nobody was like, oh, we shouldn't be listening to this song because it's in Korean. Yeah, and also with the emergence of um, Latino pop as well, like Despacito, like no one had a problem listening to that. But for some reason, once it's Korean, it's like, you can't even understand what they say. How can you enjoy it? It's like, well, the same way you enjoy Despacito. So that's my hot take. I mean, there's also a sense of entitlement. Like, I feel like a lot of um, 
Western media outlets get criticized for like interviewing these K-pop bands and being like, haha, so when's the English album coming out? Mm. And they just kind of stare at them and are like, never, because we're Korean (laughs) (laughs) and we have no reason to do that. So, I mean, it's we can't be entitled to other countries' cultural exports, you know, not in that sense that we expect it to be catered to us all the time. And I think that's where a lot of this... um, refusal to enjoy k-pop comes from is like well it's not catered to me specifically but that's not the point it's not supposed to be that brings up another topic where like k-pop fans international k-pop fans um (laughs) when a k-pop idol does like an instagram live or something they'll be like speak english and it's like no you learn korean (laughs) if you want (laughs) to if you want to enjoy my music and watch my v lives or instagram lives I do think, though, that we are making progress on these points for sure. I mean, especially with seeing how popular Latino pop is getting. And then you see, you know, BTS doing their live performance for the first time um, a couple of years ago. And then we just had Parasite winning Best Picture, the first foreign film to win Best Picture ever. Uh, I, I do think we are heading in the right direction. I will add that. Nicole, what is your hot take for this week? Okay, so... <laughs> I think, I guess my hot take is, I think there is a lot of hesitancy for people to, specifically, like, people of color to dip their toe into K-pop just because of how intimidating their fans are. I don't know if that's, like, as similar as Arouge's, but, like, specifically, like, from my (laughs) personal experience, it's, like, I had no problem trying out k-pop when i was in indonesia and i was hearing it on the radio and it was just like the norm um and it was like fine but then like coming back here and then seeing a whole bunch of girls that just like knew way more information than i did it's like when you go into a room and you just feel absolutely dumb and it's like intimidating and it's like oh i don't know enough so i don't know if i am worth being here like if I have a place to like be here or whatever because I also had like no problem listening to different types of Bollywood music when I was doing Bollywood dancing in high school (laughs) with my friends for our diversity assembly and how like welcoming like that community was um with all my South Asian friends and that was like way less intimidating than when I tried to talk to some of my Asian friends about k-pop because they were like do you even know like, are you a part of this? And I'm like, I am not a part of this. So there's kind of some gatekeeping <laughs> uh, going on is what I'm hearing. Yes. A lot and of I think it's because people love it so much and they have been following these bands since they debuted and they buy all the albums and they're so involved that like the gatekeeping is kind of like intrinsic to it. I mean, that's why I always brand myself as a casual K-pop fan, because, like, I just, I stream it on Apple Music, and if it's not there, like, uh, I'm not about to shell out money for, like, these four different versions of each album, you know? So, for some people, then you're not a real fan, because you're not monetarily supporting. I just like the dancing. I think the girls are badass. Um, I'm just here to support in the back and keep my mouth shut. (laughs) um yeah that's it (laughs) yeah it's important to find a group of people you're comfortable with because I have um a k-pop stan twitter account that I've had since like 2013 and um there's always people tweeting about drama going on and I never see it because I unfollow someone as soon as I see someone being problematic and being like just stupid about it because K-pop is supposed to be fun. 
And I've made so many friends and some of my best friends I've met through Stan Twitter, but they're not the type that are like, you have to do this, 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 and this to be a K-pop fan. It There are definitely a lot of bad apples. <laughs> I don't want right. to, that term has been, it feels wrong to use that not term. Not a good connotation nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> not a good connotation nowadays, yeah. But what I mean to say is there are a lot of K-pop stands that do that sort of gatekeeping and it's just best to stay away from them and find people that just are there to have fun, you know? Yeah. And I, it depends on the personality. Like that's why I just had to quit cold Turkey stand Twitter. Cause I am an Aries and I love the drama. I feel <laughs> you. On that. Also like, I know it was like plus 100 psychic damage every time. So I was like, you know, one of us has to change. <laughs> one of us has to change and it's not you. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I can't get over that. That was so funny. I'm so glad we got that on the record. <laughs> um, so now moving on to our main topic, K-pop in general. So we are going to take a deep dive into what Aruj and Alicia know about all of this. Um, all of us have collectively collectively watched the Vox Explained K-pop episode. So that's sort of our little background that we have um, going into this for our research. So um, we may reference that quite a bit, but I just want to ask both Aruj and Alicia, what was your additional background to the Vox video? Like, what did you know already before watching? So I became a K-pop fan in 2010, um, and since then I've been to multiple, multiple concerts and spent way too much money um, on concerts because the thing is I'm not driving to Dallas or Chicago to have a um, back row seat, so I always pay for VIP. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of experience with K-pop. I've been into multiple different groups and um I've been on Stan Twitter. I've been on Tumblr before that shut down. Um, and so I also am studying Korean and have been to Korea and know quite a bit about kind of the culture and how it influences K-pop. And what got you into all this? That's a good question. Um, first of all, I want to say I'm not studying Korean because I like K-pop. Um, I understand that it's a totally different like Korean is not just K-pop and I appreciate it for the culture and the language and all sorts of other stuff. But um, I was first interested in Japanese and I had been to Japan. And when I was in Japan, I kind of um, saw K-pop around. And even before that, I had a friend that was really into K-pop. So I decided to check it out. And I just, I really loved the whole group dynamic and how they interacted with fans and like the music videos and dances are amazing. And I just thought it was so cool and fun and artsy. So that's kind of when I first got into it in 2010. And would you say that like J-pop and K-pop are very different or are they similar? They're very different in some ways and similar in others, but I would say in terms of music and in terms of dancing and music videos, they're very different. Um, they have a similar kind of entertainment industry structure in terms of companies and stuff, but the music and the style and the dancing and the music videos, just totally different, totally different vibe. So Aruj, what did you know besides watching the Vox video? 
Um, my journey is also a little convoluted. I definitely don't have the academic credentials um, that Alicia does, but I remember um, a good friend of mine tried to introduce me to K-pop back in high school, and I was like, yeah, I was I was having my ex-weeb phase, feeling really self-hating, and I was like, we cannot go down this rabbit hole again. So I was, I was dunking on her for it quite a bit, and then um, my freshman year of college, my roommate introduced me to it, and, you know, it was like, one second I'm watching BTS's Blood, Sweat, and Tears music video. In, in a matter of days, it's like taken over my Apple Music. I'm like watching BTS run videos for fun. Um, they really were like the gateway for me, but um, recently I feel like I've kind of fallen off and that's like for various reasons. I guess I'm just like not into the new releases as much, but um, I think it's, it's totally just like another genre that I'm gonna be adding to my playlist and keeping up with. Uh, there's so many talented people out there and I feel like it'd be a shame to not listen to all of that. But I think that's the beauty of getting into K-pop really quick. You just kind of like absorb all of this information. So a lot of the stuff in that Vox documentary was just stuff I had picked up off of Twitter or like people on YouTube making videos about people. Um, so it wasn't super new, but it was it was fun to see it in like a documentary format rather than picking it up in bits and pieces. So it felt very right. comprehensive, yeah. Dang. So would you say that um, like educating yourself about just K-pop in general just comes with the territory? Like it's just a part of the ride? Yeah, like honestly, I, I totally was like, okay, I'm just going to listen to a couple of music videos. And like next thing I know, I'm like very, very deeply aware of like the main, because I think part of it is you become aware of like, oh, this boy band and this girl group are under like this entertainment company. And so just being aware of the fact that there are entertainment companies comes with an awareness of like the scandals that come about or like, you know, where those entertainment company heads got their origin. So you, you just pick it up because you know the the singers might be referencing it in interviews or somebody might be making a joke that requires knowledge about one of those things um and I think that online community helps a ton because this is all digitized information so it's like right there like one google search away right um so Wyatt you also watched the video because we all did <laughs> um what did you learn bud like <laughs> uh, pretty much everything yeah, my uh, the extent I, I will definitely be the newbie here because the extent of my K-pop knowledge uh, goes to Gangnam Style. That's about it. I mean, I, I know what <laughs> BTS is. I've heard of like EXO and Red Velvet um, just because I have friends that have listened to them. But yeah, I'm I will definitely be the the one learning in this episode for sure. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, did either of you? or any of you, you can all like speak up about this. Um, after watching the video, did you try and look at more of the artists that were mentioned? I think it was like BTS. And then um, I don't remember which girls group were mentioned in the video, but or are these like sort of the basics, like the go-to groups? Yeah, they mentioned Girls' Generation. I think they, they really just skimmed the surface just barely. I'm ashamed to say that I, I I just thought it was basic because I knew all the groups and everything. They're like the big groups <laughs> and everything. Um, 
I want to throw out there that there are over 300 K-pop groups in Korea. Um, so that's that's saying something, you know, it's not just like BTS, EXO, NCT, and Girls' Generation. It's like hundreds and hundreds of groups. So, yeah. I feel like they even missed some of the big girl groups. Like, you know, who among us has not seen an innocent tweet and gone in the replies and seen somebody say, Stan Luna? You know, and that... <laughs> That might just that might just be a product of like when the video is filmed versus when Luna is popping off. But um, even twice, I think TT, which is one of their songs, was like a whole meme among like rappers like Ti and like Ice Cube and stuff. So I, I was surprised to see that they didn't get any um, shout out. But they might have been in those shots where they have like a ton of the pictures being layered on top of each other. I just couldn't pick anyone out. All right. Um... Why did you decide to add some of these K-pop groups to your usual playlist? I have not added any of my playlists, but I've definitely been exploring some more today, this morning, because I watched it last night. Um, So this morning was kind of dedicated to my exploratory K-pop listening. Aruj and Wisya, could both of you describe, like, who you are as a K-pop listener and who your, like, top artists are and then also who you think is overrated and people should not listen to so Alicia I will let you go first my friend okay so first of all um I don't want to sound like snooty or like that white girl that thinks she knows everything about k-pop or korea just because she's been into it but I would consider myself a k-pop veteran (laughs) so um I Personally, I don't really like cute concepts very much. A lot of K-pop groups do cute concepts and it's just not my thing. And you can see that in the groups I stand because my top number one favorite group is Vix. And they're kind of known for doing dark concepts or like weird fantasy concepts. They actually have a music video that is so gory that it was banned from Korean television. Um, So that's my favorite group. Um, And then after VIX, I really like Monsta X and they've had a big uh, rise in popularity in the United States. They're probably the second most popular group in the United States after BTS. And they've been on like talk shows and everything like that and have done world tours here. I really like them. And then after that, I'm not that into them. Honestly, um, just Vix and Monsta X are like the only K-pop groups I'm into at the moment because there's just so much and it's hard to do more than that. But I also like the group 17. Um, they're really popular and also just really talented. They compose and write their own music. They do their own choreography and they're just really cool. What's your overrated? 
I don't want people to come for me and I don't want a rouge to I be can mad. sense Alicia about to hurt my feelings. I just want it to be noted. I think I, I know what she's going to say. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm just going to say it. I got to speak my truth. Um, BTS, they're overrated. There it is. <laughs> um, there it is. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that it's gotten to the point where no one thinks about other groups besides BTS and it's just there's like BTS fans that are like BTS isn't K-pop because they're popular in the United States and I just I really wish people we will be discussing that oh my god (laughs) I just wish people would there's like I said there's over 300 K-pop groups I wish people would look further than BTS and Psy sometimes (laughs) wow and so I just want to ask you Alicia um you mentioned that was it 17 um was the group that like writes and choreographs their own is that common or does the like entertainment industry um entertainment industry have control over that usually it really depends but I think it does depend on the artist label and also just the group because for example I would say that somebody a group like girls generation for example they don't do a lot of their own stuff but um it depends yeah Vix, for example they have written and uh, their own songs and their own lyrics and stuff but in terms of choreography, for example, they usually hire someone. So it's just a case-by-case basis, but it is common, I would say. And I think once you blow up, your company's more willing to let you have some more creative control. So that's part of it. Um, and it also depends on like the time, because I think the era that girl, Girls' Generation represented, there was way less of that, like, you know, we're going to let you do your own thing. Um, it was very much like manufactured, kind of. Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't think about that. Um, and so, Arouge, who are your top K-pop bands? Who are you as a listener? And what's overrated? Yeah, I think I would probably like brand myself as more of like a girl group fan. So generally, I, I would say like my top two tied, like I could not pick between them. Um, I really like Luna. And I really like Red Velvet. Of course, that comes with like caveats. I don't. I did not even enjoy the last Luna album, so I will be crucified by the stands for that alone. But um, that's that's just the kind of K-pop listener I am. I don't go in expecting to enjoy the whole album, and I don't think that happens very often at all for me. But um, that's kind of why I like take boy groups like as they are. So I enjoy BTS, GOT7, EXO, NCT, whatever. But I'm not listening like track to track, following their album drops and that sort of thing. Uh, that's that's kind of like the main gist. I think one underrated thing is K-pop um, mixtapes that like some solo artists get to put out. So more than any BTS album in like the last couple of years, I've really loved their solo drops. So like the solo mixtapes that 
the artists are releasing I think that is always like a treat for me and I think that's what's really got me into k-pop too so hope world by j-hope from bts is really good um as for overrated I don't know I think every I think every group has like a point where their fans are really really big into the album and they want everyone to like everything about it um and that just kind of turns me off to it just because i'm like there's no way every track on this is good or universally appealing so maybe like the most overrated for me would be twice which is a girl group and that is a a caveat being like their last couple albums because i still listen to old twice all the time so yeah, waffly opinion, but I'm also not like a committed stand to every single song by a group. I thought Arouge was going to go the Braden route and be like, there is no such thing as overrated. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> loves what they love. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's sweet. I'm sure there's, I'm, I'm sure there's overrated stuff out there. Like, and it's so niche that like, if I explain my opinion, only Alicia would get it. So we don't need to go there. <laughs> Wyatt, what are you? As a K-pop stan, are you, you can describe how you're a rookie to the game because of this topic. My, uh, my favorite K-pop music comes from the only artists that I know. That includes hits from Red Velvet, Psy, EXO. Okay, I, you know what? I was going to continue the show with BTS, but I... I don't think I've listened to a BTS song. I'm going to be completely honest. You know, I, I think that the that little clip that the box put in of EXO Overdose reminded me about like how classic that song is. Because mm-hmm. I think everybody has the song that they pick to introduce people to K-pop. And for so long, I mean, back when it was like cool to be into like the edgy concept <laughs> vibe, like Overdose by EXO was the one for me. But recently, I think Blood, Sweat and Tears is the one that I've like used to get people into. And that's a that's like one of the ultimate popular bts songs i would say which they showed clips i made a joke last night when alicia and i were listening to that song on the dock and i was like you know if they reworded it to blood tears and sweat it'd be bts just saying they missed an opportunity i know (laughs) bts by bts baby (laughs) dang i didn't even think about that wow clever on the ball wyatt always that's my co-host anyway um (laughs) <laughs> um and Arush, I know that you mentioned um that K-pop would be like sort of this like new genre of like go-to music that you will be consuming on like Apple Music, but um would you say that K-pop is that genre that you can just like mix in with I guess normal westernized music if you were to have like a playlist of like different pop stars and things like how would K-pop fit in or um, is K-pop just like solely just like by itself in terms of like what you listen to? Yeah, I think it's um, the people in the documentary raised an interesting point when they said K-pop is not a genre because it includes multiple genres within sometimes just one song. So I I totally think you could make a cohesive playlist of like Western artists and K-pop artists or even like, which is my thing, like Bollywood songs and 
maybe K-pop songs. Um, I just am an eclectic person in that I do separate playlists and then I just swap back and forth between them chaotically. But I'm sure it's out there and somebody's made that happen, especially with the growing world of like releasing a Korean version of the song, releasing an English version, a Chinese version and so on. Um, that makes it even easier to just like add it to your um, shuffle and TikTok. Oh my that God. That was one thing that they, really like, surprised me watching the documentary last night was that these bands are producing multiple versions for different languages. Yeah. And that's part of like the, the Eastern Asian market. I think you want to appeal to fans that like only speak Japanese. You want to appeal to fans that only speak Chinese. And that's why there's like whole promotional videos where like the Korean artists will be talking in a different language. And it's super endearing because it just goes to show you like how hard they're working to make their fans from so many different areas happy. Um, I don't think I've seen any like American artists do something like that for their non-English speaking fans. So it's always, it's always like a treat for sure. There are groups that also um, include members from China or Japan or Thailand specifically so that they can uh, speak to the fans from those countries or write and sing music in that language. And there's a group that has a Japanese member, a Chinese member, Thai member. So even within one group, it's like they do a lot to promote themselves across the border. Right. And I know that you were talking earlier, Alicia, about like your hot take, how um, people should just be more open to different languages. Um, So would you make the argument that these groups should not be like translating from Korean to Chinese or anything else besides just sticking cold with Korean? Um, Or do you think that's what is like kind of unique and cool about K-pop is that they do translate for different East Asian languages. I don't think it's a problem if they choose to do that. And especially if they have members from those countries, why not let them, you know, make music in that language as well if they have the capacity to do so. But I don't think it's right for American audiences to demand an English version of a song when they didn't have plans to release an English version of the song in the first place. And I don't think it's right for them to Um, ask Korean idols, you know, speak English, speak English, do an English song, because at the end of the day, they're Korean. And if you are so interested in this group, it makes more sense for you to learn Korean than for, I don't know, 13 members to learn English just to please you, (laughs) you know? And I think it's also important to note, like, K-pop is a business. And that's not to say that American music industry is not, but like there's a conscious marketing decision being made when they're like, okay, let's add in a Thai member. Let's put out a Chinese mix of this song. Um, Like Wavy, which is a group, I think of Chinese speaking members mostly released an English version of their song Love Talk recently. Um, and that was like everywhere on my TikTok page for a while from people who like had no idea what K-pop was, right? So that in itself is like a marketing stunt because you know you're going to get more loops. You're more likely to show up on American radio stations when you have an English version of the track. Um, so 
to some extent, I think it's super, super endearing when like the members are doing fun, sweet things for their fans. But at the end of the day, I think like even EXO being made so that there's, you know, Chinese versions of the song versus Korean versions, like that's to make sure that they're popping off in the Chinese market and getting those Chinese dollars. These guys know what they're doing. And so, um, Aruj, you mentioned that, um, like, uh, these artists are given more creativity. It was either Aruj or Alicia, I don't remember. Either of you mentioned this, but um, the second that they uh, rise in popularity, that's when they get to have more creative leeway. That is so interesting to me, considering that, like, I feel like in America, it's like you're this tiny garage indie group that kind of does whatever the heck you want slash really bad covers mm-hmm. uh question mark um <laughs> and then you rise into the industry and then you're like this like puppet sometimes it's it's very much inverted over there i feel like and i think maybe that's because the process of getting into the industry looks different you're not setting out to prove yourself by having this like awesome record as an indie artist you are literally being like going to places where they're recruiting trainees at the age of like 11 and being like look i'm so good at breakdancing i'm so good at singing i'm so good at rapping like legitimately that's how some of these artists not even some i would say probably most are getting into the industry so probably that's why and and they touched on this in the um documentary as well that korean people love the idea of like enduring and being patient and then really making it and that kind of aligns with their um process is like you're enduring all of these like guidelines from your company and you're being patient and you're waiting for the success and then once you get it you can really like branch out and like be who you want to be i think for me when i was watching that as someone who didn't have much prior knowledge the best explanation they gave was the avengers metaphor of they craft these teams depending on a variety of different purposes and needs of every member and they just you know they create super groups rather than allowing these people to come from you know come from the bottom and rise up The beauty of that is like, I feel like K-pop is so self-aware at the same time. There is literally a group that's just a repackage of the hit artists at an entertainment company called SM that's called Super M. And they are supposed to be, quote unquote, the Avengers of K-pop, you know? And I think they're up for it. That's so crazy. I'm not mistaken. And then BTS has their own kind of like parody of the concept with their song Anpanman which each of them do like a dance move that symbolizes like a superhero that they really like. So I think it's, it's nice to see it when they get self-aware about how um, pro- produced a lot of it is, but it's, it's rare. <laughs> I mean, I obviously love music coming from over here, but there's so many layers to the K-pop industry. It's crazy. I can also speak on that a little bit about like not giving them creative freedom until they're popular. Um, the way it works is that, Basically, you become a trainee and you live in dorms with other trainees under the company. And even if you train for five years, sometimes you won't make the cut for the final group. And then once you're in the group, basically the company invests all this money in you in the music video and the choreography and training you. And so you have a debt. So then the trainees, once they make their hit, they need to pay back all the money that the company put into them. So they can't, the company doesn't really trust them when they first start out. 
to do their own music and everything like that because it might not be a hit and they might not be able to pay back their money if it's not a hit. So that's why. And that's where this like tone deaf idea of a slave contract comes from. Like, wow. What a what a word choice, first of all. But like genuinely, like that's that's how these people get trapped into contracts. A lot of times that they signed when they were twelve, you know, and didn't know much about like what the entertainment industry was gonna look like for them. Um, and you are stuck trying to pay back this money. Like we saw the visual effects in these music videos. So just that budget alone, I'm sure, is insane. Let alone like clothing, feeding, um, housing a bunch of these kids that are living together and basically raising each other too and i think one niche thing that i loved when i was super early into k-pop was seeing where ex trainees from one company actually ended up so a member of vix i think um ken but i don't know i don't think that's his korean name he was supposed to be a member of bts and he ended up not being in the final group and then went on to vix and there's so many k-pop people like that i think shonu from monster x was or somebody at monster x was also a big hit trainee and big hit is the company that is in charge of like bts and txt so it's crazy. Like they legitimately do get shuffled around. So it's a little crazy. <laughs> it is important to note though. I think the um, K-pop Explained documentary touched on this a little bit. There have been regulations. It used to be a lot worse, but um, I, I would be very adverse to using the term slave contract because that's not okay, first of all. <laughs> um, but second, it's, it's gotten a lot better. They have a lot of... Um, a lot more freedom than they used to. And in fact, um, three members of EXO sued the company and got to leave just because they weren't happy. So but fans are crazy. They call them like the trader line, which is insane because they left because of things like this where you're not letting them have agency and autonomy. Yeah, so it's not like they're puppets necessarily. They have some freedom. I mean, they're free to leave if they really want to, and they can sue and break the contract and everything like that. And there are regulations put in place by the government that says like, you can't have super restrictive contracts and you have to have, you can't let minors sign these contracts without their parents and stuff like that. And what gets lost in the conversation, I think about K-pop being exploitative is like, in comparison to the American music industry, like how much room do we really have to criticize it without recognizing the same stuff that's going on here? Like every two days, I feel like we hear about XYZ producer, XYZ artist gets outed as like a pedophile, you know, or or something equally as- We've been famous. getting a ton of that like, right now. Right? So it's like, yeah, let's, let's cool it a little bit because we also need to look at our problems at home before we go around pointing fingers at other people. Yeah. So, it seems like it's more of a let's attack K-pop for any reason we can find instead of like understanding that just like American companies, they're, they have issues. And just like American companies, there are some that are good. So it's not black and white. It's not like, oh, all K-pop groups, like they work in a sweatshop and they're awful and like they're slaves. Like that's not the case. And it's shades of gray, really. Lots of xenophobia, I think, in understandings of what K-pop is truly like and very little criticism about things like they straight up were like, oh, Sotaji popped off because they brought hip hop, which is like a very clearly black tradition over to Korea. And that essentially kickstarted the entire K-pop revolution. So not enough discussions about like appropriation and anti-blackness, but lots about how, you know, like these subtly coded anti-Asian racist messaging. Mm. And so 
like the two of you mentioned that um, the inclusion of hip hop within K-pop started, did it stir any controversy um, like stands or was there controversy from like, um, like third party outer forces? I think a lot of the controversy comes from international fans, specifically like American fans, right? That are sitting here like, why are you as a Korean person getting dreads or box braids for your music video hip hop concept when, you know, like there's clearly like that is an African-American hairstyle. Like there are reasons for those and there's people who get discriminated against having them here, you know, in the workplace or wherever. So at things like that and you know maybe like artists saying the n-word while like singing along to a song in like a live stream and that sort of thing um it garners a lot more attention outside of korea than it does within and i think that's what frustrates a lot of fans as well especially black fans because it is almost i would say impossible to find a k-pop group where somebody hasn't done something anti-black in the past and the wrong people try to absolve them all the time you know um especially with people being like, oh, well, they don't live here. They're not educated on her history, etc." But at the same time, you have trainees getting fired from their companies for posting things like, you know, rest in peace, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. Um, and those are Korean kids growing up in Korea and they're self-aware. So it's, and it's definitely, if, if it's stirring controversy outside of Korea and these groups are so social media savvy, there's no reason that they wouldn't also be aware of the controversy. So I think that's that's really where a lot of it stems from. But the degree to which anyone apologizes for it or stops doing it, I mean, that is so, so, so rare. And people just kind of, they, they think, okay, that's in the past. And as long as they don't do it again, we're in the clear to be fans. For all the listeners that don't really know too much about K-pop um, or are new to the game, like Wyatt and I, <laughs> could either of you, uh, Aruj or Alicia, talk about, you know, what the background sort of is and sort of like how the government comes into play with K-pop and things like that. What is K-pop? What brought us to where we are today? Yeah. It's a really big industry and it's not a mistake either. The Korean government purposely invested in culture and the arts because in the late 1990s, they had the Asian financial crisis, and they were just uh, kind of reeling from this crisis where so many people lost their jobs and the GDP was going down. So they ended up using culture as an export. And this is what we call a soft power. So instead of, you know, um, using military force or uh, threats to get what they want, and get money, they use culture and they attract people to South Korea and to South Korean culture. So now you have international fans spending so much money on K-pop and going to Korea and visiting Korea and then spending money while they're there. And um, I don't know the exact numbers, but um, they the K-pop industry is like, it's something like $5 billion industry. And it's huge and it makes a lot of money for South Korea. And so they went from one of the poorest countries in the world after the Korean War um, to basically it's like the top 10 or the top 15 uh, richest countries in the world. So it's really done a lot and it's it's a huge 
industry, like I said. And another way that they use K-pop as a soft power is they actually um, they blast K-pop into uh, across the DMZ into North Korea as a form of propaganda. And it's so funny. And it's actually worked because Kim Jong-un loves K-pop. And actually, um, in 2018, the K-pop group Red Velvet performed in North Korea. And it's actually, if you search the video, it's so funny because they're performing this like bubblegummy pop and they're all happy and dancing. And then you look into the crowd and they're just sitting there, stoic face, not clapping, not moving, no expression on their face. So it's definitely interesting if you want to check that out. (laughs) I think the soft power element is super interesting in terms of like, there is like, parts of the military that like siphon their money into like cultural funding and there was like a whole meme about luna a while ago where they were like luna is military propaganda which definitely not true if you look at the lyrics of their songs but um like literally like this is where they like will put out money and the government is like directly investing in companies that like then put that money into groups and making them like pop off uh because it is a cultural export for them it really is making them like billions and billions of dollars a year. So I think you've seen a lot of like Western media outlets reckon with it recently, but it's still new and fresh enough, I guess. Part of that also being because no one's asking like hard hitting questions about it, um, that there's a lot of misconceptions still going on, even while we recognize that it's like a legitimate force of power. Do you think that it will continue to grow or do you think we've kind of hit like the peak of this? Um, that depends on whether you're talking like within Korea or like internationally. I think internationally, because I'm looking at things like not even just K-pop. Obviously, K-pop's been getting way bigger. But with stuff like, as we mentioned earlier, the uh, Parasite winning Best Picture, it's seeming like other parts of their culture are also expanding outside of Korea. And I'm just wondering if we're going to be seeing them being one of you know the, the powerhouses of cultural influence in the world, in everything, not just music. Um, I think that's very much true. Um, I think it comes with the territory because K-pop fans, once you get into K-pop, oftentimes K-pop fans start getting into the culture as well. So I think with that, um, the more people get into K-pop, the more people will learn about Korean culture and want to visit Korea. And I think it's just um, South Korea's economy um, will continue to grow. And I think, I mean, it's already a superpower. But, you know, I'm not an international relations major, but I think they're doing pretty well. That could be that could be our little tagline. Like K-pop is the gateway drug to appreciating like <laughs> other facets of Korean culture because Korean film like has its own flavor, you know, and like Korean dramas have their own like rich um history and so many like different tropes that are like just specific to this kind of drama so and honestly I think the more it expands the better because who knows what market will follow that once people realize like that they can enjoy k-pop and like Korean like exports of culture like who knows maybe like in five years we're going to be on b-pop like Belarus what do you think is more powerful k-pop for Korea or anime for Japan Oh, I think anime is a little more, I think it's penetrated deeper into like American conscious. We were watching Naruto and Pokemon at the age of seven. I I would actually (laughs) disagree in terms of power, like you said, Wyatt, um, because anime 
is a cartoon, right? And people can enjoy a cartoon and be happy with just watching the anime from home. But we talked about this in my Korean anthropology class this past semester. Um, South Korea markets place. So what happens is you get into K-pop and you feel like, oh my God, they're so far away. I wish I could meet them someday. And so what they do is they go to Korea and they go spend money there and they sometimes start lives there. And especially with Chinese, uh, Chinese bands are like a huge force. Like so many of them take trips to Korea just because they like K-pop or a K-drama. And along that line also, um, anime, once the season is over, once the show is over, it's over, you know? But K-pop fans will continue to grow with their favorite members or their favorite bands, and they will continue to buy their new albums and stuff like that. So I think that that could lead to more, you know, power instead of anime or something like that. Yeah. And so I guess, how would you compare the fandom, the stands, um, Korea boos versus weeaboos? Um, just to sort of segue into our stand segment <laughs> of the main part, like how, how can you compare? Is that possible? Yeah. We should differentiate the language too, I think. I, I would consider a stan and a weeb and a Koreaboo, like these are different boxes. Mm. Yeah, first of all, if you guys, listeners don't know, um, a weeaboo is someone that's basically so obsessed with anime that they think that all of Japan is anime and that um, that's all there is to Japan. And like they will take a Japanese class and then complain to the teacher that they're not watching anime in the class. Or sometimes to an extreme, I've met people in my Japanese class in high school that are fetishists and want to, yeah. um, they're like, I want a Japanese baby. I, I think I'd be super pretty in Japan because in Japan they love white people. So I think I'd be really popular in Japan. Um, that's a weeaboo. And so the flip side of that is Koreaboo. Do you guys know where the origin of that word came from? Because I genuinely don't know. I think weeaboo is just like, um, I, I know that in Japanese, the word for weeaboo is actually otaku. And that like is translated to like, like you would never call anyone that in a complimentary way or like a haha or so funny way, uh-huh. which is why I feel like Stan is differentiable because Stan now is like kind of funny. It has like a, a, a mocking, but not like, you know, like outright you are a weirdo mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. connotation. But weeaboo and I, I know Koreaboo is just model off that, but I wonder where weeaboo comes from too. Um, I do want to touch on the fact that of the fetish fetishization of Asian women from weebs in particular, um, and arguably of like men from Korea booze, just from my experience oh my of the people that I've interacted with. Um, these are white people. These are Asian people. It's like all across the board, you know? Um, and it's, it's every, it's, it's everyone. everyone. <laughs> um, but it's just, uh, it's very interesting um, because uh, every man that I've come across that is a weeaboo, um, A, hates that he's a weeaboo, and B, makes me question, why are you talking to me specifically as a Southeast right. Asian woman? Um, what are your motives? I don't know. 
the similar vibes come across with like anybody that's like super super into a specific culture that's not their own like um media and whatnot so like i feel like a lot of a lot of girls who are fans of like these k-pop boy bands get wrongly like labeled into that box of like you just have an asian fetish or something like that but then there are also like legitimately people who are fetishizing asian people and whether that is the reason they got into k-pop or that is the result of them getting into k-pop like i'm sure that varies on an individual basis but it is like rampant on like tiktok i think any poor korean dude i don't even think sometimes they're korean they're just east asian guys minding their own business their comments are filled with people calling them like opa which is like a ew yeah you hate to see it and for the viewers that don't know what that is that's like a korean daddy it's not i mean like but also people will call their older brother that in korea you know or they'll call like yeah like like senpai yeah yeah opa literally means older brother it's what young girls call their older brothers or girls that are younger than their brothers so if you have an older brother and you're a girl, you would call him oppa. But it's also something that um, girls call older guys, even that they're dating or even that they're married to. So it's kind of like a term of endearment when you're close to them. And this is very much Korean. This is I'm not talking about stands. This is like it happens in Korean and it's not a gross way or anything. And I think it's like it's just a term of respect. Like it's like you tack it on or you use it in the sentence. Like you're showing your respect for like the age difference between you two. So how and that's like weird. It's it's just po- like weebs like we'll call them that unprompted, which I think is like unfair because in Korea it has like the association that you're close with that person, you respect them, and you're out here calling this to some random guy on the internet who for all we know might not even be Korean it's really damaging to have like a fetish for a specific race not you know not only to the people that are from that like background but to fans that are straight up just minding their own business and are now being lumped in with people that are actively harmful yeah it's actually that's one of the reasons i don't like to talk about k-pop in real life um around people that aren't necessarily part of the fandom or something because of those people they've kind of ruined the fandom so I just, I actually tend to avoid talking about it or even I will go to the length to even lie and say that I'm not really into it because the types of people that um, that often attracts when you mention it in public are people that I do not want to be friends with. And I've actually had some really bad experiences in terms of like, I went to a concert and I went with a friend and it was I met some people that were not good. Um, so I just, because those people have kind of ruined the fandom a lot for me. And I think stands like, to bring it back to kind of like where we're really thinking about K-pop in the current cultural moment and the impact of stands, um, like stands don't like these people either. They do not see themselves as Koreaboos or Reaboos. They look down on them and they actively are like, you know, you don't have a place in our fandom because you're being harmful, not only to the people that you claim to be a fan of, right? But like everybody else that is just Korean, you know? Or sometimes the racism gets so deep that it's like non-Korean East Asian people are being lumped into it. So I think stands generally tend to have more of like that grip on reality of like, I just really like this thing and I want people to also like it the way that I do. And yeah, it's it's maybe like a hyper fixation for some people where it is something that they do every single day, like a hobby. Um, 
but that doesn't necessarily lump them into that same category as like weebs and Korea boos and that sort of thing. And stands, as we've seen in like the last couple of weeks, can be social change makers and like agents of social change, especially in terms of like um, using the internet as a tool to get back at forms of social control. Um, like with the Dallas PDD, I think having that app that's like send in pictures of protesters essentially so that they can hunt them down and charge them with crimes that don't exist. And K-pop fans are like, okay, cool. So now I'm just going to upload videos of my faves dancing. And that's what a fan <laughs> cam is. So it's like, you know, you'll just like see people get dogpiled onto the internet if they've said something awful. That's like, anyway, stand blank group, you know? Yeah. And it's like someone dancing and like really like performing their heart out. So it's a really great way, I think, to kind of shut down um, like negative social movements. And I, I know a lot of people view stands and kind of a negative connotation. And I think a lot of that is because of the whole ignorance lumping them together with Korea booze and that kind of thing. Um, but what, what brought this overwhelming mass of stands into doing activism i mean there's multiple it's not just the dallas pd thing you're seeing them swarming white supremacists you're seeing them as we saw this last weekend basically pulling a prank on the president of the united states and taking all of his tickets for the tulsa rally oh and there's another thing that might have thrown off trump's numbers at the arena and it has to do with k-pop it turns out the Trump campaign might have been trolled by teenagers, TikTok users, and Korean pop music fans. Before the Tulsa rally, these tech-savvy groups mobilized to reserve tickets for an event that they had no intention of attending. Oh my god, I just registered for Trump's rally, and I'm so excited to not go. While it's unlikely they were solely responsible for this low turnout, their antics may have inflated the campaign's expectations for attendance numbers. Getting foiled by a bunch of meddling kids. I mean, that means Trump is basically a Scooby-Doo villain now. Although at least Scooby-Doo villains wear masks. And I'm proud of these teens. I mean, think about it. In 2020, TikTok went from being an app where you learn dances to, hey guys, this is how we abolish the police and take down the president. What, what brought us to here? Why, where's the connection? <laughs> um, so I think I'm making a generalization and I'm not a, an expert on this topic or any topic really. Um, but I would say that fandom has always not always, but fandom in the last 10 or 20 years um, has been run by women in certain aspects. For example, um, in like the 2012 to 2014 Super Hulak, that was huge with teenage girls. And it's just a lot of these women, they go online to find their community, to find people that like K-pop or Super Hulak or One Direction. And being online with all these different people from all these different backgrounds kind of fosters um, a sense of community and a sense of we need to kind of stick together and accept our differences. So when you're in a community with so many different types of people and you're on the internet, which is often, depending on where you are, but from what I've seen, Stan Twitter is pretty liberal. You just kind of foster these ideas and kind of start engaging in social activism and using your numbers for things that you believe in. So um, I'm not sure if there are, there have been any instances of K-pop fans 
um, using their numbers for, I don't know, right-wing politics. But from what I've seen, it's mostly left-leaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, liberal. Stuff. And I think part of that's also like maybe it depends on the example that like other fans in the community are setting for you or the example that like your idols are standing like setting for you. Because I know um, BTS had this like whole UN speech where they're talking about like ideas of like not discriminating against people for anything like gender identity, race, like whatever. And even though that wasn't like, you know, the most groundbreaking, iconic speech in human history, um, I'm sure there was like, you know, 11 year old fans that are sitting there thinking like, yeah, you know, maybe this could be the gateway for them to be interested in like politics and that sort of thing. And kind of going off of, you know, the celebrities being somewhat involved in this, even in minor ways like that, do, is there some kind of organization to this or is it really just that the Stan community is so interlocked and connected that this stuff spreads like wildfire? It's definitely the latter. It's just, um, it's crazy how different Stan Twitter is from local Twitter. (laughs) I have over 1,400 followers on my Stan account, um, and I'm not like a, an authority figure in the fandom, but just having that many followers, people follow each other so much more on Stan Twitter and like interact so much more because they want to find people that have common interests and they want to follow people that also post about their favorite band so that they can have more of their favorite band on their TL. So it's just kind of a chain reaction. I post something and that's 1,400 people that could see my post. They retweet it, they like it, they, their followers see it and it's just so on and so forth. So it's not organized at all. It's definitely more, I mean, when I say it's not organized, I mean, it's not organized by like um, some company or like by the singers or anything. It's totally just, hey, share this. Hey, we should do this. Hey, let's start a hashtag. And then people in the fandom retweeting. And chain reaction is such a good word for it, because I think to understand this activist moment, you need to kind of look back at like recent efforts of like these stands coordinating and for their faves birthdays, like they'll literally host charities and like donate like massive amounts of money in the name of like these um, celebrities, right? So that takes a lot of coordination too, to be able to make that happen. And sometimes it's like, not just money, but like actively like doing, like making kits and that sort of thing. If you're like more like a local group, that's less, you know, dispersed. But I think that really allowed for this activist moment to happen because you already see people caring about others, wanting to donate to charities in their faves' names. So I think the logical next step to that would be, you know, standing up for other kinds of injustice in a more concrete way. And the Internet makes it happen, baby. I have one more question before I throw it back to Nicole. Uh, what this And this is for all of you. What are your guys' thoughts on fan cams? Okay, here's the thing. Um, people think that K-pop fans post under uh, post fan cans under stuff just to be annoying, but it's actually all about the views. Um, they don't care who sees it. They want people to watch the video of their faves because then they can brag about, look how many videos or look how many people have seen this video of my fave. Um, so they will post it under every single popular Twitter post if it means that thousands of people 
we'll see it. Even if you don't click on the video, I'm pretty sure it still counts as a view if you see That's it. That's why it's the worst when people quote tweet it complaining about how annoyed they are at seeing it. Like you are getting the more views. <laughs> yeah. I will say though, I do not agree with K-pop fans posting fan cams under serious posts about like um, someone's death or like something horrible that happened. Or, yeah, like, the trolls in the community are like terrible. And I think that goes for like any community. Also, I mean, like Eminem coined the term stand for a reason. There's a little bit, there's a little bit of an extra intensity going on here that we don't see in average fans. Um, I'm not going to say anything meaner than that. If you guys want to know what she's talking about, go listen to Stan by Eminem. Yes. So, I mean, there's there's kind of like that element of being a little like out there and willing to say what people aren't ready to hear and seeing it in inappropriate moments. It just kind of makes you upset. But then without fail, there's like 50 stands coming to drag them in the reply. That's like, why now? Like, why did you think this was appropriate? And for those who don't know what a fan cam is, it is essentially just a short clip of a bunch of different clips put together of their favorite artist or person or whoever is heavily edited and they put music over it. And that's really all it is. It's just like glorifying their person of interest. But the crazy thing is I feel like fan cams used to be something different. Like before they became a Twitter meme, I totally remember in 2017 when I first got into K-pop, it was just straight up like, so this is like a wide angle shot of all seven members of a group performing, right? And like, I am a fan of this one specific member, like they're my ultimate fave, my ult. So I'm just going to like now crop the video to just show them dancing and like move across the screen where they move and whatever. So that is what a fan cam actually used to be before it became these like clips with like the funny music i feel like flo millie's um beef flow mix is in the background yes. like, half of them and the other half is like nikki on i think good form so before it became kind <laughs> yes. of like a cross genre situation it's it was... still very yeah it still is also just a cam it's what it's called a fan camera so it's a fan taking a video at a concert or at a music show so um if you like search in Google, like fan camera plus this date plus this band, you will see videos from a concert that happened on that day. So it's not just um, the Twitter meme. It's also very much like a fans trying to um, share their experiences with other fans. And that's another thing that I don't have time. We don't have time to touch on probably, but um, fan they're called fan like admins or what are they called? I can't remember, but basically there are people fan sites. fan sites that dedicate their entire lives to going to concerts and interviews and live events of their faves and taking pictures with those giant like professional grade cameras that weigh like five tons to take pictures of their favorite idol and then upload them on their own website. As a crossover moment, like I'm about to blow some minds right now, there is a K-drama called Her Private Life where one of the characters is a fansite owner. So they even wow. have a fake K-pop group in there. I think they're called like White Ocean. And one of the guys in that K-pop group, I'm pretty sure, is also a real K-pop artist. So he's in there for the laugh, you know? Um, it's like a little Easter egg for the fans, but it like legit goes into like what the different sides of fan site culture, which could be its own podcast, really, because you have like legitimate stalkers 
stalkers, like genuine stalkers. The companies have a restraining order against them. They go out of the way to do like uncomfortable things, like get on the flights with these boy bands to have a chance to interact with them. Um, and then there's just like really sweet people that like love this person, love making edits of them and like nice high res photos of them, like from performances and that sort of thing. So it's, it's truly a continuum. And I think that can be said for any part of K-pop fans. They're just like fans of any other thing. You know, there's the crazies, they're the regular people, and it's a fun mix. Nicole, how do you feel about fan cams as a cultural trend? Um, you know, I really <laughs> didn't have that much of an opinion about it, specifically um, like about K-pop, but I think that I'm pretty sure there are still a lot of like fan cam trends of like different popular western artists i think this has always been a thing yeah throughout all the fandoms. like let me just think about it timothy shalamagu that entire like <laughs> that entire trend on tiktok when you know all of those slow edits i just did a body roll um <laughs> listeners um of timothy and call me by your name at that dance um little bit when he and like army hammer at that dance party um and one of the fans like slowed it down and put some music to it and that was an entire trend on tiktok where people would zoom in on like screen uh screen caps um mm -hmm. of like movies or artists or whoever um which is basically no, the there, same there's thing there's a this fan is... cam of jordan woods out there after she like broke off with the kardashians and like act up by city girls is the song in the back i feel Period. like i think about that like once a week that was really a cultural moment and to think that that came out of fan cams is like hilarious it's just become yeah. this huge thing online i'm seeing in replies and stuff it's not even just k-pop artists anymore i'm seeing like bernie sanders montages with cardi b yes <laughs> yes i have seen avatar the last airbender fan cam yes. with appa the flying bison and it's just <laughs> it's so good it's just like random people now and they'll just put like Cardi B or Doja Cat or someone else behind like the music behind these people and just glamorize them. I saw one of, from Ben and Jerry's the other day because people were talking oh my God. after Ben and Jerry both released their Black Lives Matter statement. It's crazy. It's a cold thing now. And I think that's because it stands is. go beyond just like the one thing that they're into. So like a K-pop stand could also be a Timothy Chalamet stand. I'm sure that exists out there. Oh, you know? of course. So the crossover makes it so fun because you get these like remixed concepts of like a fan cam of like Bernie Sanders with Cardi B playing in the background. And that's not something that we couldn't have had. A, had Eminem not released a song stand, you know, had Korea not decided to make K-pop a cultural export. There's so many things coming together with this cultural moment and I think that's why it's so fun. And so um, do either of you think that stand culture is good or is it bad? Is it detrimental? Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, see, this is a tricky question because it all comes down to who you follow and where you are on stand Twitter. Um, the good thing about social media is that you can curate your timeline to only include good, wholesome things. You need to, you know, find people that you connect with and that are nice or accounts that just even just post updates or just post pictures. And you can have that stan experience and you can 
even choose to not be on social media and you can be a stan of a group just by listening to their songs and buying their albums or not even buying their albums. You can just watch their videos on YouTube. So I think that there are a lot of stands that you should be wary of and a lot of crazies, but you know, the block button is a blessing. Um, it really is. And, and I think that I, my two best friends, um, I told them to watch or listen to this podcast. If you're listening, I love you. Um, <laughs> but I met them through Stan Twitter and we talk literally every day and we've known each other for three years and we've sent each other presents and stuff like that. So if you want it to be a positive experience, it, it can be. And I would just recommend anyone that starts crap on Twitter or on social media you just unfollow them, you block them, you step away if you need to, it's all up to you. And I think to kind of give my take on it is even when I wasn't like actively curating my feed to really enjoy the experience, the vast, vast majority of people that I encountered on Stan Twitter were just like people who really loved a certain band, people who really loved a certain artist and they were willing to connect with others just on that one thing, you know? And I thought it was such a beautiful and like creative community that's willing to come together to represent things that really, really matter out there in the world. Um, and there's obviously going to be the bad eggs in any community, you know, like people who are there to troll, people who are racist, like people who just don't care about the broader experience of everybody else in the group. So it's it's like any other online community. Like that's that's the end of the, the end take home message. So maybe overall i would say net positive relative to the fans of some other content creators um but it has its it has its ups and it has its downs for sure right okay well do any of you have any other last thought you wrap it up um, I did not shout out one of my favorite solo artists, and we didn't even talk about solo <laughs> artists very often, but I did want to say that Taman is a king. And if you have a chance, listen to some shiny. They are really, really eclectic and out there. And if you really go into it thinking you won't like K-pop, um, you will like at least one of their songs. So Shiny was my first K-pop group. I can stand by this. I flew out to California uh, just to see them in concert in 2011. I skipped my middle school finals just to see Shiny. So That's I commitment. Stand shiny are where it's at. And, they are um, worth the commitment. They really are. There you have it, folks. Wyatt, do you feel like you're more of a K-pop connoisseur now? After I definitely have these guys? learned a lot about the industry, and you know, maybe it's time to stop shaming people for listening to K-pop. Enjoy <laughs> the music. Listen to it actively. I'm gonna start listening to K-pop club bangers on the on the ride to classes each day <laughs> you know and at the end of the day there's there's a lot more people that we could come out for for their music taste i'm gonna leave it at that <laughs> blender noise <laughs> blender noise listeners if you listen to six nine we're adding you period oh yes oh you know yeah let's reserve the energy for six months <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there you have it, folks. Um, K-pop is apparently taking over our world. And honestly, you know, maybe that's the type of energy we need in our lives right now, right? K-pop, the power we never knew we needed. Um, anyways, I would like to thank Alicia Anna Rouge for joining me and Wyatt today and teaching us a thing or two. Um, and listeners, be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Reading Between the Lines and follow us on Spotify or wherever you go for your podcasting needs. Um, and follow us on... We're on Apple Podcasts We now. are on Apple Podcasts. So all of you with that UI interest, whatever. Apple people. And I wanted to I say thank you guys so much for having <laughs> us. I feel like just having this conversation opened my mind to a lot of stuff too. So, you know, get out there, enjoy different things. Let's be open-minded, have those third eyes open together. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, I don't want to be like one of those snooty people that thinks they know everything about like K-pop or anything, but um, this was 10 years of repressed Stan energy just pouring out <laughs> in an info dump. So thank you for letting me rant. And I'm sure you guys will both be back for later topics. Oh, of course. Of course. And everyone, be sure to follow us on Instagram at University Daily Kansan and on Twitter on Kansan News. And thank you for joining us. Uh, please, for the love of God, cover your yes. nose with your mask. Peace. Peace out. Stay safe. Thank you guys for listening.